We've been talking in Romans. We're going to look at the second half of, of chapter 6 this morning. Uh, I've been here for a few months, if, if you're new with us. Uh, but what I wanted to start out with is we, uh, of course, we just had our... Yes, Lord? All right. Uh, you always got to listen, right? Um, we just came off the 4th of July, had a beautiful weekend uh, with, over the week of sunshine and celebrating our nation's 242nd birthday. Um, but I wanted to start off with a little game I like to call play, uh, Finish That Song. Okay, finish that song. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sing a, a line from a well-known patriotic song, and I want you, when I point at you, your job, you're my choir now, and you're going to finish the line for me. Can we do that? Now notice, see if you can notice patterns. So here's the first one. My country, tis of thee. That's not most of you are on the same key. That's good. All right, now next one. Uh, from every mountainside. We're getting in the groove now. Um, and I'm proud to be an American. Where these stand, free. Amen. All right. And uh, or the land of the free. <laughs> Some soloists in the house. Man, we'll deal with that next week. Um, and the home of the brave. All right. Uh, play ball. So do you see a theme there? Do you see a theme to the, the words that you sang? Freedom, liberty. We, as Americans, we value this concept of freedom and liberty. In fact, so much so that we'll tattoo it onto our bodies, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is a lot of the bedrock of what our, our the, the principles, the foundations of our country were built upon. And, and ever since we told those Brits, we're not going to take it, right? And we're throwing tea bags over the boat. We, we said we want to be free, and we value this. It's in our amendments, the freedom of speech, freedom of the press, free to peaceably assemble. Like, we are all about that liberty, about that freedom. Now, I hate to burst your patriotic bubbles this morning. But the Bible, you know what the Bible says about freedom? What the Bible has to say, we so bad, we, we want to be in charge. We don't want anyone else pulling our strings, telling us what to do. But the, what the Bible says is this concept of, of, of autonomy or of self-rule. Like this kid, you want to be the king of your own castle, right? The ruler of your own roost, that you can do what you want. The Bible actually says that's an illusion. It says that's an, an illusion. And what Paul wants to tell us this morning is that every single one of us is a slave or a servant to something. The only question is, to what or to whom? And a lot of us, man, we see that we, we bow the knee to, to money. Or maybe it's to work or other people in relationship. And ultimately, what Paul wants to point out today is that each one of us are actually a slave, and it's going to come down to two things, either to sin or, or to God. Those are our, our, our two options in the words of the famous theologian, uh, Bob Dylan, he said, you got to serve somebody. He said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And his little choir girls came in the background, serve somebody, right? We're not careful. This is going to turn into a karaoke party. Um, 
He said, everybody is actually serving someone, and that's what we're going to see today, but there's good, good news in this truth. I want to tell you that. So if you have been with us, we've been walking through the book of Romans, and after Paul got through that thoroughly depressing but necessary part about that we're all, we all fall short of the glory of God, that we all deserve nothing but wrath and condemnation, he took us to what we call birth truths, how we are born again as believers in Romans chapter 3 through 5, how this all started. But now he's made this shift, and last week we started, now we're dealing with what we call growth truths. And we're going to see that in Romans 6, 7, and 8. So the question is, now that I'm born again, now that I'm declared right in God's sight, how do I grow? How how do I grow? How does what I do, how I live, begin to line up with who God has declared me to be in Jesus? So we're going to kind of make this shift as to how we grow. Now last week, we looked at the first 14 verses of chapter 6, and what we saw was that you and I, the good news is not only did Christ die for me, not just that he died for my sins, but also that I was crucified with Christ. We said the word baptized means to place into And when we were saved, God placed us into Jesus, which means our identity is united with Jesus. What's true of Jesus is true of us. So was Jesus crucified, then so were we, namely our old nature. That old person in us that wanted to do what's wrong was crucified with Christ. And then he said we were buried with Christ. That old nature was buried into the ground. And then the really good news is we were raised to a new life. That old man stayed in the ground. But we were raised to a new life, which actually is Christ's life in each and every one of us. And the beautiful truth, what this means for us today as we grow, is that you and I have been freed from the power of sin. We talked about this last week, remember we used Captain Hook as our illustration, that that Captain Hook, he could boss around Smee, but when Peter Pan tied him to the mast, he had no more power to push Smee around. In the same way, our old man, our old nature has been crucified to the cross and it has no more power over us. We are free from sin, dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ. And now this doesn't mean that we can't sin, right? We all know in our, even as believers, our experience, we can still sin. But the the, the reality is now we no longer have to. Now it's going to be a lifelong process to believe that, to grow in that. But the truth is, that you and I, we no longer have to sin. Captain Hook can still whisper lies into our ears. The sin nature can still tell us that we are in bondage, that we have to follow what it says to do, that we want to follow what it does, what it says to do. But we're no longer in bondage to it. And we said last week that, that now we've been called to walk in victory. And we said that we need to know, know that we are dead to sin and alive to God, to believe that, to place all of our faith in that, and then to present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead for his purposes and no longer our old sinful purposes. That kind of gets us to where we are. Now we're going to look at the back half of chapter 6 this morning. And he's going to, Paul's going to ask a question, and he's going to answer that question, and then we're going to look at three realities of that answer. So the first thing he asks is this. Now, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Are we to sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? Now, let me tell you this. If you are preaching the true gospel, this is a logical question. This is a logical question, that if if now I'm declared right in God's sight, if I'm no longer under obligation to earn God's approval by my behavior, if I don't have to keep this standard, this law, then am I free, if he's just freely handing out grace and acceptance in Jesus, am I free to do whatever I want now? 
And you think about, like, if a teacher came to you and, and, and says, hey, at the end of the semester, you're getting an A. The report card already says A plus by your name. Now, what's the motivation to continue to go to class? Or, or to, to try to do your homework, to, to pay attention and study for the, for the tests or the quizzes. If you've already got an A, why not just go do whatever in the world you want to do? So Paul says, now that we're not under law, but we're under grace, freely received this. We got an A in our account because of Jesus. Can we just do whatever we want? His response to this is, by no means. Other translations say, God forbid, or the Spanish edition, no way, Jose, right? <laughs> That was uh, Pastor Larry's joke. I'll let him know it went over well. Um, this is what I learned from my mentor. So um, last week we saw a very similar parallel to this when we asked in verse 1, Paul said, what shall we say? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Like if, if the more I sin, the more grace is given, then why not just keep sinning so that God's grace looks really good? And he says, don't you realize, don't you know that you have a new life? You're dead to that. You're separated from that. And you have a new life now. No, don't keep sinning. And this week, he says to a very similar question, because we're no longer under law, but under grace, should we just keep sinning? And he says, by no means. We have a new life, but this week he's going to show us we have a new Lord, a new master. Look at, look at his answer to this question, should we keep sinning now that we're under grace? He says, do you not know, just like last week, do you know? We had to know something. Faith rests on facts. If you don't have the facts, you can't place your faith in it. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. His answer to the question is by no means because, don't you know, that obedience leads to or is equivalent to slavery. In other words, the thing that you obey becomes your master. You're a, a slave to it. And he uses this word three times here, different forms of the word obedience. And when he says the word obey, the, the Greek word, it means to listen under. In other words, you're under their authority. The picture here was somebody, like a servant, who's waiting by his master's door. And he's sitting there, he's listening under the door. The second he wakes up, I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do. You need me to go fetch your gluten-free breakfast? I got it for you. I put your slippers on, I get your paper, I'm here to do whatever you want me to do. I'm your slave. He says, the one that you obey is the one that you become enslaved to. And the reality is, what he says in verse 16 is we have two options. Sin can be king or God can be king. Those are my two options. And he shows us the result of those options. He says, if you're a slave to sin, what that means is you obey sin and you die. <laughs> That's what you get for obeying that master. And we said the word death, it means separation. Not just ceasing to exist, but separation. You'll be separated from God. The other option is if you're a slave of God, if, you, if he's your master, then you'll obey righteousness. You'll do the right thing, and you'll find life. You'll live. So if death is separation, life is connection. It's, it's relationship. This is how you have a relationship with God. Now notice here, though, who's not on the throne. Paul says you're either obeying sin or you're obeying God. I, Justin, I am never given the option to be sitting on that throne. That's not one of the options. Now you might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. The independent American in me doesn't like that, right? I want to do what I want. So let me give you an example here. Because it might seem like, no, we I, can, I can make choices. I can, I can do what I want. So let's say that I was really getting aggressive into my preaching, right? I'm like full Italian mode. And I've got my hands out, my feet, and I come over here, and I knock one of these vases down and shatter it into a million pieces. Now, our dear Kim and Brenda our decorations ladies, they put a lot of time and effort 
into these things. Now, here I have, I've broken this thing, and I don't want them ticked off at me. There's nothing more terrifying in the universe than the wrath of the decorations ladies. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Now, I have a choice here, right? I can choose to do the right thing and come to them and tell them the truth, tell them what I've done, or I can do the wrong thing. I can lie about it. I can cover it up. I can, I can hide what I've done. And I can tell them, you know what, earlier in worship practice today, uh, Robbie was impersonating Jimi Hendrix and, uh, you know, things went from bad to worse. So it's my, my choice, right? I have a choice. Uh, there's autonomy there, right? I can decide what to do. But, but think about this. Am I really doing what I want? Yes, I've got a choice, but ultimately, I'm either obeying my sin nature, which says lie, protect yourself, or I'm obeying God, which says do the right thing and be truthful and act in love. I'm always obeying one of these two masters. This is what Douglas Moo said. He said, one is never free from a master. And those non-Christians who think they are free, they're actually under an illusion. The choice with which people are faced is not, should I retain my freedom or give it up and submit to God? It's not me or God. It's actually, but should I serve sin or should I serve God? And this isn't just for the unbeliever. He says, Paul is writing to Christians also. And we must too not forget that the sin is to submit ourselves as slaves to sin. So here we are people who have been set free from the bondage of sin. He says, when you go back and place yourself under the authority of sin, you're enslaving yourself to it again. Jesus summed this up very succinctly. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. When you choose to do the wrong thing, you're actually enslaving yourself back into the bondage of sin. It's not a question of if I'm going to be a slave or a servant. It's a question of whom or what I will be serving. It could be the devil or it can be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Now Paul is going to compare what, what being a slave of sin looks like and what being a slave of God looks like. I'm going to put it before us today to finish out the chapter. He's going to show us that sin and God are very different. They give us very different positions, very different practices and progress, and very different promised ends. So let's, let's walk through this. First of all, different positions. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, notice the word were, this is past tense, this is who you used to be. You were a slave to sin. And then it's really interesting. He says in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Do you see that? He says, when you were a sinner, you were free. You had no relationship to doing the right thing. In fact, you couldn't do the right thing. You were dead to right living. And we know that as sinners, the only option for a sinner is to sin. And even when we do good deeds, they're done for the wrong motivation. I got to help an old lady across the street. But ultimately, in my sin nature, it's look at me. Look how great of a guy I am. Like, we still can't ultimately do it for the glory of God in our sin nature in the first Adam. He says, this is who you were. This was your nature that you were born into the world in. But, but, he says, now, having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. You become something new. Look at what you are now. Or the way he says it in verse 22, you've been set free from sin, and it become slaves of, of God, which is the same thing. He says, you were this, but now you're that. Now, how did that happen? How did that happen? How did we switch masters? Look at what he says in both of these verses. Having been set free from sin. That's a passive verb. In other words, I didn't do it. I didn't free myself from sin. I was set free by God. God did it. He set me free. When he crucified that old man, that old nature to the cross, he put me in the ground and then raised me to a new life in Jesus. I am free from that old master. That was God's work. That's what God did. Now, in one sense, we are free. Right? We're going to see there's a limit to these analogies. 
But in one sense, we are free. Galatians 5 talks about this. Now, so Christ has truly set us free, he says. Paul says, now make sure that you stay free. So wait a second, I thought we were slaves. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. He says, you've been set free from sin, from an obligation, the law, from, from earning my righteousness through my good behavior. He says, you're free from that. You don't have to do that anymore because you've received it freely in Jesus. So you're free from this, but look at what we're free to. Verse 13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve, be a servant, be a slave to one another in love. So he says, you're, you're set free from sin, but you're not set free to do whatever you want. You're set free to do what your new master wants, to serve him and others in love. So yes, there's freedom from something, but it's freedom unto what your new master would desire from you. Now, in verse 17, he said you were once slaves of sin, and now you become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He's talking about the gospel. He says, now, now you obey, you're obedient from the heart to this new teaching. Now you go, well, wait a second. I thought the whole issue was that I couldn't obey, that I wasn't able to obey the law, that I wasn't able to obey what God wanted me to do. I thought that's why we needed Jesus in the first place. Well, you're exactly right. We will always do what we want to do. Always do what we want to do. See, obedience, we, we, we do what we want, and that's why the, the, the issue is always of the will or of a desire. That's a, that's a hard issue. So what we needed, if we were going to be obedient to God, our old sinful heart was totally incapable of obeying God. What I needed was a new heart. And that's exactly what we got in Jesus. See, this was prophesied in the Old Testament. Ezekiel said this. He said, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit, Christ's spirit, in you. I will take out your old stony heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And here's how we obey. He says, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. How do we obey him? From the heart, not just externally. I need a heart transplant. This wasn't just me, like, doing better at obeying God, trying harder to get it right. This was actually getting a new heart. Jesus' heart, his very life in me, one that is obedient to God. See, Paul always starts with our identity. We've got to look at our identity. This is who we are. He says, you are now an obedient slave of Christ. He's got a heart transplant. Now, Paul's answer to whether or not we should continue in sin, he's actually saying here, it's impossible, listen to me, it's impossible for the new believer to continually serve in the direction of sin. Why? Because we have a new master now. We have a new heart now. We have a new nature now. And you will find your heart gravitating more and more toward what God wants for you. Now that growth process is slow and it's messy and it's filled with mistakes and it's fully saturated with grace, but it's going to arc in that direction. You see, the new believer has a new master and you can't serve the old master and the new master at the same time. These are Jesus's words. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, both God, and in this case, he's talking about money, but you fill whatever blank in there you need to. You can't serve God and work. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and yourself. You can't serve God and family. You can't serve both at the same time. One will be on the throne. One will be the master. Now, going back to our discussion on the American's thought on freedom, we kind of have a little bit of PTSD when it comes to this word slavery, don't we? And we think about where our nations come from. We think about our checkered past with African-American slavery and the cruel, dehumanizing 
process of racism and barbarianism that was locked up in that slavery. And you think, so wait, you're saying I am, I am now in the hands of some cruel God that I will be a dehumanized slave to? Like, hard pass, right? I don't want any part of that. We have to understand what Paul's doing here, and he actually says what he's doing here in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Here's what he's trying to say to them. He says, I'm using an analogy because we have little human brains, and these little human brains need help, but like all analogies, they break down at some point. See, there's other places in scripture where he says, you're no longer slaves, Galatians 4. You're no longer slaves, but you're now sons. He's using a different analogy to explain where we're at. God is not some cruel, dehumanizing master. Analogies help, but they're limited. And, 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 and here's the point. You used to be a slave to sin. And let me tell you something. Sin is a far cr- more cruel master than any plantation owner from the 1800s. It has m- more ill will toward you than any other human ever could. But he says, now you're a slave to God. That you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and you belong to him. He's in control now. But you know what Jesus says about this, him as a new master? He says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, this is the contradiction. You put Jesus' burden on you, it actually frees you. It's the best thing for you. You think about the difference here. I was thinking about the, uh, the musical Annie, right? And here's Annie, poor little Annie. She grows up in this home uh, with Miss Hannigan, right? A cruel, dehumanizing taskmaster. She's got her alcoholic breath all over her, right? And she forces her to do hard labor. It's a hard knock life for her, right? She's, she has to do what Miss Hannigan says. But then what happens? She's transferred. She's freed from Hannigan to a new master, to a new caretaker, Daddy Warbucks. Now, is Daddy Warbucks in charge of her? Is he her master, so to speak? Yes, he is. And he'll discipline her, and, and he's, you know, he's in charge. But Daddy Warbucks is a good, a good father. And he only desires the best for Annie. And he gives her a new wardrobe. And he gives her this beautiful palace. And he says, here's all the things that I have for you. And yes, I want the best for you. So there are going to be times, because I love you, that discipline's going to have to happen to keep you moving in the right direction. But I love you. And here's what's in our minds. We have to understand God is not some cruel master that's out there to dehumanize us. That God loves us and he will only tell us to do what's best for us. He says, I want you to come to me. I will be your master. My burden is light. I have every blessing in the universe dumped on you in Jesus. I want to give you a new set of clothes and a new name and a new house, a new identity. And everything I have for you, even my hand of discipline, is for your best. Well, we believe that God is for us and that there is no better place than to be into the hands of that master very different positions, slave of sin and slave to God. And there's number two, we have very different practices or different progress that we're going to make. Verse 19, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to what? To more lawlessness. He says, this is the direction of a slave of sin. Impurity, lawlessness, leading to what? More lawlessness. When you obey the impulses of your sin nature, you're not just sinning, You're actually placing yourself back into bondage. And he says, where does that go? Deeper bondage, more sin. There was a Christian psychologist who said it this way. One lie has to be covered by a dozen more. Now we know this in our experience, right? Got to cover up one thing with a bunch more. Wronging others fills us with stress, which leads us to further irresponsible acts. The downward cycle of sin moves from a sin to a faulty, sinful response, thereby causing additional complicating problems and additional sinful responses. 
So here, here's what he's saying. When I broke that vase and I lied about it, I said Robbie did it, right? Now what happens? Now I've got to cover up that lie with a bunch more lies. So Kim and Brenda are like, all right, point me to Robbie. And I'm like, well, you probably shouldn't talk to Robbie. Like he's at Pizza Boys right now. He's busy. Like you can't talk to him. Like you know, I, tried to, I had to cover my tracks and I got to make sure I have my story straight. And what comes into my life? Stress and anxiety, right? As I try to cover my tracks from this broken vase. And now it affects my relationship with Robbie, who I'm trying to mentor in the process. That's not going to be great. It becomes bondage, right? I remember talking to a married guy once. I was talking about his addiction to pornography. And the years, the years that he had experienced paralyzing anxiety. There was this thing between him and his wife that led to anger, led to all sorts of problems. And you, and you go down that lawless road. Where does it lead? More lawlessness. It can lead to divorce. It, it can lead to adultery. It can lead to, to problems with your kids. You think about the way that, that can spread through the generations. This is what happened with our first daddy, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. What happened? They sinned. They disobeyed God. What did that lawlessness lead to? More lawlessness. Now we've got to hide from God. Now we've got to try to cover our sins somewhat literally with the fig leaves. And now when God asks us, we start lying to God. We start placing the blame on each other. And curses were introduced into the world. And in fact, through Adam and Eve, sin spread to the whole world. Thanks a lot, Adam. Right? His lawlessness led to our lawlessness. In your life, what unconfessed sin is leading to deeper and deeper bondage right now? We know that's the direction. He promises that. If you obey sin, it will lead to lawlessness and more and more lawlessness. But the same is true in our new positions as slaves to God. Because the verse finishes, so now present your members, that's the word from yet last year, last week, as, as those alive from the dead, place yourself before God, as slaves to righteousness or right living, and what will that lead to? It will lead to more right living. The word sanctification here means to become holy like God is holy, to become more and more like Jesus. He said if you do the right thing, it'll lead to doing more of the right thing. So back to the vase, if I come to Brenda and Kim and I'm like, hey, got to claim it. I got excited, I knocked over the vase, and I broke it. My bad. And you never, you've, there's nothing more disarming. There's nothing more disarming than a genuine apology. You ever notice that? When you come to somebody and just own it, what does that lead to? It leads to openness and, and honesty in the relationship. And now all of a sudden, it leads to more right living. Where I'll say, you know what, that was my fault. I'll buy you a new vase. And they're like, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's just a vase. And I'm like, phew, because there's no way I could have afforded that. What does that do? It leads us into further trust, further honor. That's actually brought us closer. Conflict can actually bring us closer together. And our attitudes and our actions become more and more like our master, Jesus. So when that husband came clean with his wife about pornography, what happens? Leads him toward recovery. Leads him toward a healthy and restored relationship with his wife. And actually, when you deal with the big issues, and it moves that out of the way, now you can actually start to work on your relationship, right? Now you can actually start to get into the nitty-gritty of, of what it means to grow in Christ-likeness together as a couple, as, as a friend. Slavery towards sin progresses us more and more towards sin. Slavery to God progresses us more and more to be like him. Now, where do these two roads end? Last point. Two different promised ends. Verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For those things end in death. He says when you became aware of what you were doing, what did that lead to? Nothing but shame. 
shame. And in the end, death. Now again, the word death means separation. And this is not just talking about physical death. We're all going to physically die someday unless Jesus comes back first. This is a loss of fellowship, a brokenness. That's what happened when I broke the vase. If I lie about it, there becomes a fracture in the relationship with Brenda and Kim and I, and with Robbie and I. And that husband and his wife, when they were at odds, when there wasn't honesty and truth, there's a fracture in that relationship. And that can lead to a fraction in the relationship with their children. Adam and Eve, their relationship with God was fractured. They were kicked out of the garden, removed out of his presence. Sin leads to death. This isn't a game. This is life and death in the most literal senses of the word. But he says in verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, holiness, becoming more and more like Jesus, and in its end, eternal life. Now again, this, this concept of eternal life, it doesn't just mean that you'll live forever. This isn't just talking about quality, or quantity, excuse me. We're all going to live forever. You realize that. Every spirit will live forever. The question is, in fellowship with God or outside of fellowship with God? That's the difference between life and death. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that you may have it more abundantly. And that means that if, if death is a, a separation from God, what's life? It's a vibrant, flourishing connection with God and through God, connection with others. If you want to have that kind of eternal life, it's only going to be when Jesus is your master. Now notice the last verse, and you probably recognize this if you've been to Sparky's or given it somebody the Romans road. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It makes a little bit of difference putting it in context, doesn't it? Now notice what he says here. The wages of sin... He doesn't compare the wages of sin with the wages of righteousness. This is so beautiful and so brilliant of Paul. He says the wages of sin leads to death, but the free gift of God leads to eternal life. Notice he's comparing what is earned versus what is freely given. That's been the whole point of the book of Romans. You can't earn this. God must freely give it to you only to be received by faith. In fact, this word, free gift, that's one phrase. It's, it's a Greek, one Greek word and it's charisma, which is the same root as the word charis, which is our word for grace. It's not by works, but it's by grace. It's freely given to us by God. You see, growth, just like birth for the Christian, is not working harder. It's resting deeper. It's not working harder. It's resting deeper. And as I present myself as, that, as one who's been raised from the dead to, to life, as a slave to God, what I'm going to start to see is more and more of Jesus and less and less of me, my old sin nature. So two things, and then we'll be done. I want us to take heed, and I want us to take heart. Take heed. There's a warning. If you've been following along with our reading plan, First John chapter 3 this week, and, and this was, I'll tell you what, this is not an easy one to sit with, all right? And I had to deal with this verse this week. It stayed in my brain all week long, and I wanted to stay in yours. We had to deal with this. So I'm just going to read it to you. It says, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous. Make sense? Even as Christ is righteous, Christ in you. But then he says, but people who keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. He crucified our old sin nature. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. They have a new life, a new Lord. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. He's talking about their identity. And then what that leads to, the fruit. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. And here it is. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. And I could keep you awake at night. 
Now, it's important to see what he's not saying. He's not saying that a Christian can't and won't sin. In the same letter, in John, 1 John chapter 1, he says, if you claim to be without sin, if you claim to be perfect, you're calling God a liar. This is not talking about sinless perfection for the believer today. We can still listen to the sin nature. We can still go back and put ourselves under bondage to it. That's why he commands us here to present ourselves to God. He wouldn't make a command if it was an inevitability. But what he is saying is that if God is your new master, if you have a new life in you, if Christ's heart is now your heart, then you won't, he says here, make a practice of sinning and keep on sinning. In other words, the life of a true believer will arc toward becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, we got to be careful here because we are not the judge, right? We are not the fruit police. And we're not the ones running around looking at somebody. You've been sinning for three straight days. You're going to hell, you unregenerate, right? That's, you could try that. It's not going to play well, right? But, it, but, but here's the reality. If someone, someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus is no more like Jesus today than they were 20 years ago, are they evidencing fruit? Are they evidencing that they have a new master? Are they evidencing that new heart? They're not. We need to take heed, be warned. But we also need to take heart, because this is an encouragement. This is ultimately an encouragement. What a wonderful promise that you and I can bank on. Philippians 1, 6. I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, you didn't save yourself. He began a good work within me. He will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He says, what he, fin- what he started, he'll finish. This isn't up to your effort and your abilities. This is what God's doing in and through you. The beautiful promise that those of us who have been declared right will continue to become more and more like Jesus until we see him as he is and will be just like him. And how encouraging, how encouraging that I can wake up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, right? And I can say, God, I trust that you're going to make me more like Jesus today. In fact, we can say, God, what good things do you have for me today? And I love this truth at the end of, we know Philippians 2, 8, 9, or Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but what about the next verse? We are God's masterpiece, a masterpiece of the master. And here's what he says. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You realize that before you were ever born, God sat down and he said, July 9th, Monday morning, July 9th, 2018, I have some good things for you to do. There are going to be ways that I'm going to make you more like Jesus, to love other people, to share my gospel, to do the right thing. I've planned these for you. And we get, wake, wake up tomorrow and say, God, how are you going to make me more like Jesus today? It's a wonderful encouragement. My Lord and my Master. Third word of the entire book of Romans. Paul identified himself as a servant. That's the word doulos. We talked about it in the first sermon. It means a bond servant or a slave. This is the exact same word that he's been using in Romans chapter 6. That we are, like Paul, bondservants, slaves, a doulos of Christ. That's how Paul identified himself above anything else. Do you identify yourself as a doulos of Christ? That he is your good master. His burden is easy. His, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's our master. Autonomy is not on the table for us. We're either going to serve the devil or we're going to serve the Lord. But we have to serve somebody. Choose today who you will serve. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much that Jesus came to set us free from the bondage. Each of us in this room know quite a bit about what it means to be enslaved to sin, and we've seen that in our lives play out, that as we give ourselves over to sin, it just leads to more sin, more lawlessness, drifting away from God and other people in relationship. Father, today I pray that we would 
receive the grace to trust you more and, and recognize, as, as those who are believers in here today, to claim our identity, that you are now our master, that you are now in control, and to give ourselves to you, trusting, Lord, it's so hard at times to believe that your way's better, that you are not going to leave us, that you're not going to forsake us, that you're not going to let us down. And Father, maybe there are those here today that have never turned toward that new master, that have never received freely by faith what you've given to us in Jesus. I pray today would be the day that they would find a new master to be set free from the chains of sin, the bondage to sin, and have a new life in Jesus. May we bow the knee to him as our Lord and our master. It is in his all-powerful, beautiful, saving name that we pray. Amen.